We have two guests here that are, you know, they have like unique stories, great guys, very privileged to have met them. And I'll just, I'll introduce them, but I'll leave them to share, you know, um, a little something before we begin, right? Does that make sense? Mm, I think so. So we have two guests. Um, first, we have Ademola Abdul Ghaniu Adishoko. Mame. Wash. Mame. And then we have Nina Mba. All right. So Welcome aboard, guys. Introduce yourself, please. Yeah, so tell us something. Okay, let me go first. My name is Ademola, like you say, Ademola the shop camp. Demo. So I love to become Demo or Demoleo. Amen. <laughs> I like to play football before. I'm a captain, I'm a defender. So, Oosh. actually. So what does Leo, how does Leo, because Leo is a striker, right? Lionel Messi, right? Right. Is that yeah. the Leo? Yeah, no, actually, the Leo comes from the Brazilian name. Most of, you see Ronaldinho, you see Fernando okay. and yeah, Leo, yeah. Leo. So actually, I really love Brazilian players and I actually adopt that Leo to Demo. So it becomes Demo Leo. Nice one. Nina. Mm. Mm, come, babe. <laughs> I'm in Amber. Um, I think I can be multi-talented, but Oosh. I'm very reserved and I can be very, very shy to express some of my talents. Like most times, what, most times what I feel like I'm putting out there is just like a very minute portion of me and like I'm burying so many other things inside. Generally, that's that just... So, guys, you're welcome to our our, our small show, the quirk. Now, the twer- quirk is uh, God. Put so, please, guys, I'm not usually like this. You can see that this is Femi's fault. Anyway, what was wrong with the twerk? Uh, please, let's talk about the twerk. We shall only let's do first only talk things. about the twerk. We can do only Demola, things. What do you think about the twerk as a name for a podcast show? Please, no, thank you. This is an educational. So what, what, okay, so <laughs> what does it mean to twerk? Like, what does it's twerk a dance mean? style, isn't it? It's a dance okay. style, and so I now, think it's inconsequential. You're the one, this can be consequential if we decide to make it look like okay, how, how has our past? been dancing like yeah. 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 please no thank so, you no no twerk, like, no thank how you. you twerk your journey no it's, it's, it's too against to now <laughs> no so who's going to be the tiebreaker no there's no tiebreaker i am tying this break so so we phone a friend no <laughs> anyways the point is that the quirk is supposed to be an episode where we talk about people's unique um, experiences that have made them who they are today. And so Ademola and Nina are going to be telling us their stories 
and sometimes you hear my story or family stories about what made us who we are and that's what you're going to be hearing in this episode today so first question goes to nina because ladies first you know no you know. way how was hey. your childhood hey. 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 <laughs> what are you a woman what are you a man please please Okay, but Adola went first last time, so... Alright, Nina, so, how was your childhood? Okay, um, childhood was fun. Mm. Um, I had lots of interesting experiences from different backgrounds. Um, growing up in Northern Nigeria, Kaduna to be precise. Um, from a family of three, I'm the first child, and, uh, I grew up having lots of responsibilities. At a very early age, at a very, very tender age, like I was just made to sort of like grow maturely, like earlier than I'm supposed to. I feel I feel so like I, I was like at the assistant mom at a very early age, wow. but yeah, so we got to a point that I think I'm now used to. I mean, what, what you are saying, I would like to just press you a little bit on it because I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Before we get to the Mola. So you said two things that I feel like you may want to um, elaborate on. The first thing is you, you are you are Igbo, Ninamba, but you grew up in Kaduna, am I correct? Yeah. Okay, so um, how was that experience like? And I, I don't want to, I don't mean to, you know, stare because I understand that, you know, the nation right now is sort of, um, we're going through some security issues, right? So that's not what I'm trying to stare up, right? But, you know, just share with us your own experience as, a, as an evil person living in Kaduna. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing you talked about, which I think uh, I will remind you, just in case you forget, is how, you know, you were, you had a lot of responsibilities and you were more or less like the second mom. Now you're a woman and you live in the North that is very highly conservative, you come from an African background, of course you are Igbo, that is also very highly conservative, that doesn't give women the chance to actually shine, but yet you say you have a lot of responsibilities. So How do you explain that. Yeah. Okay, um, where do I start from? An Igbo person living in Kaduna. Okay, as at the time I was growing up, I think there were lots of people in Kaduna before, I think before I was eight. Um, my community, I could say my community was like a mixed community of different tribes. Like, we had many visitors in my community. We didn't have like the indigenous Kaduna people residing there. On my street, you see an Igbo man, you see a Yoruba man, someone from Edo State, you see, you understand? So it was a very diverse community. But then, um, I, um, um, I was very, very slim. <laughs> and. Um, whenever I travel to the east, they do call me Fulani, like the Igbos, like they feel I didn't have the stature of like typical Igbo person. They used to be stout. <laughs> <laughs> So um some do call me as Fulani and all of that. But then the funniest part of it was that I didn't really have that pure northern experience in my secondary school because um, because of my kind of community, we didn't really have much of Hausa people in my community. That's as in, that was Kaduna back then. Yeah. Get. No, no, no. I grew up in Kakuri in Kaduna. Kakuri. Yeah. It was crisis that made us to move to Konigura because after the the first Syria crisis, Kaduna became something else entirely different. And 
there was like a divide before in a compound you see muslim christians but after the crisis there was now a very big demarcation of southern and northern cardinal so the christians moved to the south and the northerners moved more towards the northern part so that was when we had to relocate towards the um, southern cardinal that that's on the security aspect but i think i started picking up on outside um, language in secondary school when I school them. I, I went to plenty schools. <laughs> <laughs> I was always moved from. You're not alone. You're not alone. I was always moved from one school. Same here. Yeah. So I moved to FGC Bakuri um, in Funtua Katsina State. That's like the heart of. Funtua. Yeah, the heart of um, northwestern Nigeria. But I think that was the first time I started coming in. I started listening to Hausa language critically because it became like a part of the culture. I'm already used, I'm already aware of the culture, but then it wasn't that, it wasn't that a very, very intimate experience for me to learn responsibility. So moving on to responsibilities. Mm. It's a lot, it's a whole lot because I think um, my first responsibility aside myself was my younger sister because she's the first person immediately after me. And both dad and mom were teachers, like public school teachers. And oh, I see. I see what the strictness is. You for talking. Ah, I see what So you get like that discipline was like paramount, and it was interesting because for me, I think it made me enjoy. Um, it made me enjoy academics growing up because my dad and mom tried to make learning very easy for me. Anything I don't understand is once I come back home, they break it down. We have a blackboard, like we have a special blackboard spot in the house. They break it down for me. So as I got older, my younger sister was coming up. It was just like a mantle to start transferring some of those. My dad wasn't expecting for him to go and start repeating the same yeah. lesson. So he felt yeah, naturally. you understand naturally. So and it was something I actually enjoyed doing as well. So it's, it's it was like um going to transfer the knowledge. And as I was doing that, I was also learning as well. So for me that's um for me that's um the first step. Um <clears throat> normally in Nigeria teachers if 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 you want to say public school teacher that is hundred percent dependent on their salary and they want to raise their kids, like I'm trying to imagine the struggle or the kind of economic condition that will be in their family. So my, my mom and my dad also be a very ambitious teacher. So they weren't like hundred percent dependent on those salaries and as evil people too. But let's say they are business people. So they were also like running business on one's hand and um um, doing the whole teaching activity on the other hand. So once I come back from school, my mom and my dad are not around. I have to run to the shop, pick it, <laughs> to handle yeah. all of you, understand, yeah. to help and all of that. Or you're helping to warm the food so that I and my sibling can eat from that when we get back from school. Or you're trying to assist mom with the domestic chores to reduce the workload on her and all of that. So I think, um, I think the whole um, the whole point of responsibility was also um, the discipline that that it it brought. Like it made me like when I'm when I'm with my peers, then I'm always I'm always like thinking ahead ahead. Like it's not I don't really just see. I try to have the fun as much as but then I'm also thinking of what what I'm going to go back home. You understand to go okay. do and all of that. Yeah, okay. so I think that's it. Wow, thank you, Nina. So now let's move on to let's shift the, the focus, the camera to Ademola right the now. Twerk. <laughs> the twerk. So like 
Uh, Ademola, how was your childhood like? Tell us about your childhood and how well growing up, where you grew up, and things like that. Just, just your story. Okay, thank you so much. I'm a young man. <laughs> I would like to start with that because I really love culture. I don't know if you guys have noticed me. Yeah. I love culture a lot. I don't feel it's culture. Especially my indigenous Yoruba before I was up. So, I'm the third born of my family, the second male child. And to be sincere, I was born with a silver spoon. But, 2001, if I could remember precisely, the silver spoon got broken <laughs> because I lost my dad. Oh, and my dad was a teacher just like Gina. Mm. But you guys, I think you guys will be surprised when I say I was born with a silver spoon and my dad is a teacher. He's not just a teacher, he's a farmer. Oh. So he's into a lot of farming, like, you see a lot of food There's stuff. There's a lot of money like, in farming. Yeah, doing yeah. that, people don't even value farming, but, and was a vice principal then. So actually, so we lost into a cardiovascular disease. Wow, so, really sorry for unfortunate. that. Thank you so much. So 2001, so my mom actually moved us to, to the northern part of the country. Where's your mom from? Just in Canada. My mom is from Yoruba. Okay. She's still Yoruba too. She's a Yoruba, yeah. Mm-hmm. She's from Washington State. So when did she move you guys to this north? Interesting. Okay. <laughs> she, she has a sister. Mm-hmm. That's our aunt. So our aunt was married to a military man who is also late. So the man was a major. So like she believes she's privileged over there. Like my dad's family, nobody is ready to help any part on. Everybody was just like God for all man, all man for himself. <laughs> like did you just say? So my mom moved us to the north. Okay, before I continue, my dad was sick for like two years before he died. So in the second year, she has actually. She started going to the north to see her sister. So her sister actually advised her that for adventure, if anything happens, why don't you just bring the children since their family, their paternal families are not really caring and they are not really worried about us. So actually we moved to the north after after my father died and I continued my primary school at NG Staff School, is a military school. So I lived in Paris before. So I did NJ stuff school. After my NJ stuff school, I went to a missionary school. And Saladin, I don't know if you guys are part of Yeah, so I went to Saladin and it got to a stage. Okay, my mom was, I'm not ashamed to say it. I'm, I'm the son of a fuseller. I'm mm-hmm. always proud of that. Mm-hmm. So what are you, that my, really taught me a lot. My mom is a kisser. She's so like, yes. Yeah, Same here, my mom sells food so, so, till now. Yeah. <laughs> what so are you trying to say? <laughs> yeah, so I, no, no, some people feel, yeah, she's yeah. a roadside food seller. Yes, my mom is a exactly She's to, to a level mm. that all of us want to invest in. Wow. We are four in number. All of so us. So we all dependent on them. Yes, we are dependent on my dad. Though she was a trader, but she goes to Ghana to go. But there was, a, there was an incident that happened. Thieves, I'm going So they attack her, they collect her goods, custom, all those ecos. So <laughs> a lot of things happened. So she stopped that. And when my dad was sick, she was. Fully the one taking care of him, actually. So she was selling food. We actually wake up in the morning around 4 a.m. FR. She doesn't have people that work for her. You know, I'm sorry. They are lazy. The only one. I'm sorry to say that. I grew up in the north, so the only one where see things happens and they'll just get from you tap and go. So we wake up by 4 a.m. We work with her. So 6:30. You don't have to miss that time. You have to leave for school. 
In fact, if you are late to school, my mom would be the one to call the principal and, and explain to the person, please deal with that boy in the other way. <laughs> Actually, this is the very end. I don't know what you want to deal with him. So my mom is a disciplinarian and I've learned a lot from her. In fact, most of the things I do, right from after when I lost my dad to now, I learned it from my mom. And if there's one good thing I learned from her is humanity first. My mom is always after humanity, humanity first before anything. In fact, she doesn't care about money much. I've seen a lot of people come to her like, this is hungry, this, that, that. She will actually give them food and even give them the raw food to go and cook at home. So I've actually learned, learned a, lot of, a lot from her. And so after that, I think one experience that really, that really shocked me was when I was in secondary school, I must confess, I'm not to that the serious type. <laughs> I must confess. I, I see, must confess. So, so just for context, right? For context, right? Like the person who is speaking happens to be like one of the most serious people in the world. <laughs> so I don't get where she's coming from. Go ahead. So I'm not that serious. Yes, I can come to school like to seven, and before you know it, nine, we know we know where to be found. Yeah, some gangs. So we gangs, go, gangs. We play games. We like a lot of things. Though I don't smoke, I don't do all this. But we go out. To, we are stuck on that. Love that child stuff. So there was this teacher. Ha, I could remember that vividly. She told me one day that you will never go to university, and if you go to university, you will never graduate. Wow, yes. that was the day I woke up. I said, Oh my God! From today henceforth, I will never leave this place. So, okay, from that time, I do. So many teachers were surprised. Like, ah, this one like you. We hardly see you in class, and you write test, you do pass. I would, I would, okay, I'm brilliant, actually, as people say. I wouldn't say I'm brilliant, but that's what people say, and I've never failed before. So Despite fact, running away with guns yes, and all that. Yes, yes. No, I know my stuff. I know when I do, when I get home. Uh, well, my, mom, my, my mom, my mom, she will not even tolerate. 9 p.m., you have to go and carry your book. You must read, whether you understand or not. You must read, and she will ask you a question before you go to bed. Mm-hmm. If you can't, if, if you are unable to answer, you are in soup. Just, ju- 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 just to interject a little, okay. uh, because I know that your story is still sort of expands. I noticed that both of you have a lot of similarity. Both of you are from the southern part of the country, albeit you know different regions in the south. But both of you have you grew up in the north. Exactly. Um, both of you have parents who are teachers. Both of you have parents who are very you know yes. who are traders. Both of you have parents who care so much about human capital development. That's the reason why Nina, for instance, her uh, parents will make sure that the teacher make her teach the other ones. And then you as well, your mom will work so hard to make sure that you go to the best schools and things like that. What do you think? Do you think that the story is generally the same for people who are like migrants to the north? I don't Based on your own experience, maybe. Okay, Anyone you can answer that by Nina, you go first. Okay, um, for people who are solely dependent on trading, for Southerners, especially after the crisis, a lot of them lost that completely. Like, you know one thing with um, human capital development or someone who is earning from services, even but even when people come and destroy your stuff, so you can still render that service somewhere else, you get paid for it. But someone who is relying on a shop that is stocked with goods and is set in place, as in, 
Okay, it's to bounce back. Yeah, yeah so difficult. to bounce back is much more difficult for yeah, them. You, you know, the capital requires. Exactly. So as a teacher, it was easy for them to go back to teaching in school, earning their salary, and starting mm. afresh. But for some people, it was like everything. It was everything, and those those people don't have any other thing that they have to offer. So you see, a lot of them they had to come return to the south where they came from. Some became like paupers, and they were ashamed of going back to. You understand? Maybe the, when they were living the south, their family told them not to leave, and they rebelled that they want to go and start their own life. Now they came here. And they met crisis and maybe their houses were burnt. Returning back with nothing or something. And so we had a lot of refugees just you get moving around in the communities and all of that. There's a particular community not so far away from me. After the crisis, um, after the first major crisis in Cardinal, those were more, more of the southern indigenous. <clears throat> the Seriki of Southern Cardinal gave them free land and told them to pay after like that they'll be paying them say the amount if the land is worth 300,000 naira we pay with like 50,000 naira for the next 10 years as a way of helping them to able to bounce back so a lot of them when you go to that community the houses there were built from mud because these people lost everything they had so they came there you see them they they, they built their houses themselves they used because the community is like close to a stream they go there make the clays into blocks they built their houses themselves. So like us, they didn't have any other place to go to and all of that. So they built you see like makeshift houses. But with time they started demolishing those first houses that they built after the crisis to start making something better. So it's different experiences for different but you, you, do you think that the same thing is Yes, actually I wouldn't say it's the same thing for everybody. But if there is one thing I've learned in the northern part of the country is that I think is applicable in most of most of the different part of the world yeah though it's not for everybody if the moment you leave your own town or you leave your region to go and also in another place i think you have to think because when i was in school i could remember there's one special thing this my fellow officers they say that all these Yoruba boys like you see like in different departments most of the first class students are Yoruba boys or Igbo boys so they'll be like you guys you come from other place why are you like so serious than even we that are the indigenous. So there is one statement, one boy uttered, and I really learned, learned from him. The boy said, the boy's name is Victor. He said, Do you know how many bridges we crossed before we got here? Mm. That even if I want to play, I will have to think of those bridges. The kind of thing that make me leave my account to come and study here. I just have to be serious. So any anybody living in his own town, you are in another mass land, you have to think twice that I need to do what brought Let me there. even chip in something. So um, one of the crises, my mom almost lost her life to a child that she was teaching in class. Like, so when the crisis broke out, everybody, the first crisis, we're not expecting it. Um, everybody broke out from school, scattered running and 2001. So she was running out of the school and that's the mob coming right in front of her. The person leading the mob was the students that she was teaching with machete. Like, primary school, primary five, primary six, it was carrying machete and coming close. So when my mom saw the mob coming, <clears throat> she was trying to turn back and they have, they've stacked something like tires and setting tires at sure, least. She didn't know where to go. So in her mind, she, she just felt that was it. Like for her, her entire dressing that they speaks southern because 
nobody is expecting because yeah. you know with time in yeah. Kaduna people start dressing for if you're going to go northern part of Kaduna as a Christian there's a way you dress because in case anything happens you know how to just mix up you understand and all of that same thing applies to them yeah. too because it's like yeah. it's, it's much it this side much it that side so but as at then it was unexpected, unexpected. So. so she was caught in the middle and something very funny happened when the mob gathered her, the boy told all of them to drop their matches. That one is his mother. Mm. Mm. So it's Toya, that that's his mother. So he led my mom out to where this called Kule. Kule is like before like closed they, door. Like closed so, door. They call yeah. it closed door. Can you, you know, I actually feel like we are going to get sold, <laughs> but these guys will do it off camera. I'll be off uh, microphone because, like, you know, they understand each other. <laughs> There's no language. Apart from English, what language do you have come on? You're about right. Yes. But you can understand your bad language. I think I can hear it too. So, anyway, Kule is like, Kule is, when you're about to enter Kule, you see on the door, Bashiga. Bashiga is no entry for guys. So, that house is dominated by kids and women. So before a man enters in, you have to announce that a man is coming mm-hmm. in. Everybody so they dress can out. dress the way they're supposed to. So that was how my mom was taking him to one of those places. The guy now had to go and clear the road ahead for them because he knew that their own gang was not just the only gang that she's going to face. So this is the lesson she just tried to tell me there. So imagine if she was not a good, good person, person to those. That was all. Like that would just be an opportunity for that guy to just take out any grievance he has on him. So I feel like there's a lot of parts in this. Just to just to move quickly to you know the core subject. You wanna ask him So so the question I'll ask both of you but I didn't allow our side first that what has shifted your that what significant event has shifted your perspective and like defines the core of who you are like like just one significant event and that has defined the core of who you are and maybe it's a situation a challenge i just want to hear that you know, just just to, that's your question. just to add a layer on top okay. of it i mean both of you are obviously different people from what you have described right now right now you join something what you just described is completely different from what we know because you for instance describe yourself as somebody who used to be in a gang <laughs> gangster, <laughs> gangster. <laughs> you know and you also describe somebody who used to be like you know very serving to the family and you you still are responsible but now you know you're pursuing nina's dream you know you're trying to build something big just you know i just wanted to layer that on what so that you, you help us bridge yes. that gap what de- what defined that mm. moment when you began to change I like i said earlier humanity but there's really one thing that has shifted my mind is the death of my dad. Which has actually led to the way I think now. And I would like to tell you guys, I want to go into research and development. Mm-hmm. And the research and development I would like to, my interest would be in applying machine learning because I'm computer guy. Applying machine learning, algorithm, big data classification to analyze this health management system, more especially cardiovascular disease, mm. because I lost my dad to cardiovascular disease. So mm. I think the death of my dad actually shifted my mindset. Mm. Uh, you know. Okay, uh, for me, um, when I got into the university, I found myself jumping into businesses. And um, despite how the workload of a company, of a, as in, the normal Nigerian university that we know, the normal uh, public university, federal university of technology now, that we know the workload is very hectic. 
I was still very, very much curious and um, like, how would I put it? I was so enthusiastic about like running businesses in school. So I did a lot of like, I did a lot of trading, campus businesses and all of that. But as at the time when I started all these things, 100, 200 them, I didn't know that not everybody thinks that way. You get because so <coughs> I there's this thing they always say that um, children or people don't do what they are told to do. They they do what they see people do. So because I was used to academic and business always in front of me, it became like a normal like a way of life. Like like no matter what I'm doing, like I have to look for how to earn and while I'm studying and all of that. So even when I was in school, I couldn't just focus on just doing only the academic thing. Till I started realizing that my friends and classmates were always complaining, ah, maybe we'll fail, like all those things. But truth be told, not everybody will be able to combine those kind of <laughs> things. You know, some people will perform very, very poorly when they are when they are made or when they try to do such. But I was I was I was managing it, you understand, and I was doing good. So the turning point for me was when I realized that all this while my 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 experiences have shaped like i was no more seeing like i'm not seeing business as, as an entrepreneurship like a thing it was just like it was lifestyle it was a lifestyle like i just felt like why would we just be cruising with life and you not be doing something to earn money that's just my thinking because i just felt if my parents and teachers can be doing something to them it, it should be a thing but the turning point for me was when i realized that not everybody thinks that way like that you're privileged yeah actually. i was privileged especially when we graduated from school i started realizing that this thing was now an advantage other than the people that were saying okay let's focus and focus and focus but now they weren't struggling to even earn a job like i understand me i was just moving ahead with the little things that you get little experiences that Oh, okay, so 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 that that is great. I mean, um, it's always great to recognize points where we sort of had a mind shift. But now that you're in the NSP, because you, you did have a mind shift at a point, well, your dad, you know, I mean, for you, it has to do with how you found that okay, certain things that were that made you look weird to people actually was privilege. Um, but now that you're at NSP, have you changed? Has that affected you now? Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> Before you go, whenever I say engineer, what comes to mind is pandemic engineer. <laughs> okay, so Are you a pandemic so engineer? I'm planning to be more. Because it's still part of my research. So, actually, before I start my question, I would like to say this. I'm this before, before, that was after my diploma before I entered university. I used to take life like ah not do or die thing. Like we just have to yeah, you just have to be. But when I got a certain stage in life, that was after my BSc. Okay, after my BSc, it was published and it was approved by the government board that I would be given automatic employment after this service and I was like eh, okay that's fine. That really aligned with my interest of impacting here, research and impacting people's life. So it got a particular stage. Our VC was changed. Then the new man that came in, he hijacked the process and bring his village people to come out of our space. So at that time, I was like, oh, this man, this, that, me down. 
and two streets or something and two attacks or something. And so that time that was when the ICP stuff came. I went to SAP Academy and when I was when I was young, the only person I've ever seen that works in Shell is one man. The man is from Wakili's family. You know what Wakili is. Wakili is a title in the mouth. He's a very big title. So that man we, we see him once in a year. He only comes to his family. And anytime he comes, you see the whole the whole work and I'm like I see he's a king. Of course. You because the guy finished it first class, the really and after his first life, he immediately got shell. So everybody used to see like God. So that kind of used to feel like, ah, this shell, how did they get that safe? Like, you may go survival, if you want to get. So at that time, I was no, I knew they were going to shell. So, but actually, from SAP, so when we got to the SAP interview, they were like, they have companies and you have to go to different companies. So if you go to this company, like, let's say they select. 20 people were selected and you go to this company. This company will select the best. So Shell was like the first people to select from. You go to, I have some people that went to like three companies, four companies before they actually got one. So my first company was Shell. And I was the first person to be David and I was big. So that time I saw like, like, ah, sometimes. Oh boy. I don't no, it's not really like that. <laughs> so sometimes. You can say that, boy. I don't know what I'm saying. You know what? You know how funny that game. Everybody was like wearing suits. Hey, that was how I I'm not used to all this. I just went there, I wear my white box, I just fucking out. I was like, that this one, I didn't want to just. People like Okiwa. Okiwa is not a good I was like, ah, this guy, this guy. For context, like, Okiwa is somebody you care about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, we're not giving to them But I just did it that and I. And I did actually, I was not called for any other company and I was selected by Shell. So when I got to Shell, I met a lot of people that were even beyond that, that our village champion. <laughs> so I met Let's a lot hear. of people. He's not here. No, not a kid. I know you're a village champion. <laughs> I mean, that guy that was watching Shell, I used to come there. Everybody used to feel like. So I saw a lot of managers. I just, my manager sits just beside me that would discuss this. So. But now that I'm in NSP, like I feel like working in multinational companies. But when I came to NSP, I feel like anything is possible. Like I don't really need to go for white collar job. I can be an entrepreneur. I have multifaceted options. Like I can do a lot of things. So I guess the way so watching my watching my is that I can. I'm not. I'm not. For now, I, I can't really see this. What I want to do apart from that research. NSP. So I'm open to anything. I'm open minded. So let's be broadening yes, your... Exactly, broadening my organization. Is specific, like maybe a specific course or a specific person or okay. maybe the group of people? What is that name? Okay, the first thing was Tedla. 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 Yeah, because entrepreneurship was, was at the back of my mind, like maybe like 20 years or 30 years. After I've made money, I'll just be at the store and sit down. Guy, I'm now you understand that. But now, I really, yes, I know that's what it's all about. Like, you need to come from somewhere and you need to know the, 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 the reason of the game, yeah, how it works. So that you not just have some people you invested on and they'll just come and tell you stories and get your money. And waste your money. <laughs> so you know how it works and a lot of things. So I think I'm open my day. I've been doing like, I can be very, very. Another hobby I have is surfing the net. Like, once I get caught in my mind, I just want to see what I can do. I try to see how I can connect technology to what I'm doing, but 
then it wasn't that broad. Like I was so very, very limited in my thinking, majorly because not because I, I thought it was impossible to like go into tech that far, but I didn't know how. Like most of what I'm doing, like I'm not really using my certificate that I've that I got through school to make a living or mm. practice through my career and vacation. So most of most things I've been doing are like hands-on experience. But when it comes to technology, I don't really think I'll have to continue that way. So I just felt I needed something more advanced, but I didn't know how to go about it. So I think um, the NSP program has like made me see that has given me like it has given it has given me like a map that tech tech can be used in different ways. Okay, for example, let's use um um just calls that how to break it down to health, education, um, architecture, um, buildings, you understand <coughs> that. But for me, I think so far the one of the uh, one of the questions I always ask myself when I'm trying to work on an idea still remains uh, if it's as, uh, MCI, like I'm creating innovation. So whenever I come up with an idea in my head, I'm thinking, okay, how is a market creating innovation? Because now we're not just talking about ending poverty, we're talking about creating wealth. Yeah, and we're not just talking about creating wealth, but creating wealth, uh, but creating wealth by creating a market. Mm-hmm. Or like you understand? Because what MCI, what market creating innovation means is that. You have to create that market that is going to need that service. The market exists, but it's not obvious. Yes. You understand? So how do I how do I make this thing I'm trying to work on? How do I make the market obvious so that my solution could be the answer or could be the solution to that particular problem? So I think MCI that market creating innovation idea has been like the most haunting idea to me. Like I just keep asking for me if I don't have an MCI in my idea, I just yeah, that's how it has been. But I generate, I generate a lot of ideas. I'm an idea person. Like I'm always, I have a book. Like I generate ideas. Sometimes I go back. I just say, this one, this one is that fabulously. You understand and all of that. So I'm just thinking of market creating ambitions right now, and I think it's, it's been it's been amazing because I try to also connect the dots to other um, courses because another thing that has shaped me is marketing. I'm not really that on interfacing with people like when it comes to putting on my products they like when I go for when I go to face stakeholders people always say you're doing a lot how come you're not hearing about it you understand so it was really marketing class I get to understand oh Nina you've not really been doing this you're not really creating a brand your mind you just want to make impact at the end of the day you're complaining that you're not raising enough resources how do you raise resources Mm. if you're not putting yourself out there so I think these two things has like if I'm going to do this, how do I strategically position myself so I can attract the resources in order to achieve this? So, yeah. okay, okay. Um, so let me just ask you guys one final question and then wrap up the show. So first of all, yes or no, do you, do you think you have a superpower? Yes or no? With God anything. That's a very Nigerian response. <laughs> Nigeria, so Nigeria response. Wow, By the grace of God. Now God do. Wow, God do. How about you? Such a Nigerian response. Yeah. So what's your power? Yeah. <laughs> 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 I'll share superpower. Oh, share superman. Oh, share ice having pass.
Okay, just pick one. I think he's your superpower. The top. Let me let me define it. Why are you thinking, Nina? Why are you thinking, Nina? What's the spot power? Apart from God, why I don't want to call it a spot power? Because for me, it has not materialized. Mm. I'm a futuristic person. Whatever, whatever it's like, whatever it is I'm doing right now, I'm thinking of what's how relevant or how valuable this thing is going to be to people in the next. I think it's, I think it's a, it's it's a good superpower but because I've not really refined it to actually see it through. I don't, I don't try. To see it is a superpower because a lot of people can't see past their nose. Like they can't see past their. It's like ninety percent of the world, even though I'm one of those people who don't draw statistics out of my heart. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, of course. No data. Where is your data? Show me where you got your data. Do you know who I am? Who do you think I am? Trust me. Uh, to, uh, don't worry, I'll be my guy. Don't worry. Start so start I start think. Start 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 start. I'm actually okay. Let me just say, I want to be. One of my superpowers is like impacting humanity, so I want to be the governor of my state. Mm. Oh, shit. So like you, you guys know I'm politics. So would you say I'm into uh, politics? Polit- understanding polit- politics. Yeah, understanding politics. Have you ever had a political conversation with this guy? Especially when it comes to northern politics. He knows everything and everybody. Western politics, and no, because you should be governor. I know, I know. No, I think you'll be useful, like an advisor for maybe one of these young people that want to run for something. Yeah, for now, but no, I mean, 2027, we're voting this guy. Are you doing 2023 or something? I told him already now that if he does not come out for anything, like for any, I told you now. See, he's not going to avoid Indomie. Oh no, you're not going to avoid Indomie. Indomie. Thank you very much for listening to our podcast today. I hope you enjoyed, and I hope you like you can relate to people's experiences. Like I said, that people people have quirks, and we all have quirks, and we have things that make us who we are. And I hope that by listening to this, you also find out what makes you who you are. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the quirk. The quirk. <laughs> <laughs>